Amen. Well, tonight we are having that uh, church picnic here at Praise Assembly, and we're planning on having the games and stuff outside. That's, of course, tentative based on the weather, and having the food inside. That is pretty much established regardless of the weather. So food inside, we're hoping that we'll be able to do uh, games outside, so feel free to join us. We would love to see you there. Uh, bring along a side to share, okay? Remember how last week I told you that last week was going to be the last week of that series, Watch and Pray? Can I, from the bottom of my heart, say to you, just kidding. <laughs> so... I, it was supposed to be kind of tie a bow in it last week and done with Watch and Pray at, throughout that series over four weeks. Uh, we were planning on just wrapping it up. All we did was um, hopefully provide a platform for the Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us and call us to be a church that prays. That was our goal. We wanted to see the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, my heart, and call us to be a church that prays. Um, and I ask you to be praying over these next few months that the Lord would do exactly as he says in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 18, and keep forever such purposes and thoughts, those things he's done in our hearts, in our hearts, and then direct our hearts towards him. That's what I ask you to pray, and I know that you have been, believe that you're going to continue to do that. But we're not talking about just shooting off a quick prayer to God. The kind of praying that we've been talking about as part of this series is the kind of praying, the kind of praying that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, the kind of praying that he encouraged his disciples, called his disciples to as well. Not just a, a, a quick fire off a prayer, but he said, watch and pray. He said, watch three times, he said to watch. Be active, be focused in your prayers, be intentional in your prayers, aim your prayers, watch and pray. And so as part of the series, all we did was we looked through scripture and we saw the different times that the, the word watch shows up and those words that kind of show up, the phrases that kind of show up right around the word watch and watch and pray. And uh, we talked through that. So that meant that we covered a heart awake, a mind sober, cell phones off, which was essentially just preparing ourselves for prayer and then preparing ourselves for as God answers us in prayer to be able to step in and participate however he would have us participate. That's what we talked about. Hard awake, mind sober, essentially hands ready, but cell phones off. And so that was our goal, to kind of close it up. And then this week uh, really felt strongly like there was one more message that needed to be brought. And I'll be just super transparent with you. I really don't want to preach this sermon, and I feel like I'm supposed to. So I don't want to, but I gotta, okay? And I got to do what I got to do. And so as part of that, I'll just lead right up front and say this is not my typical message style. This is, if you're the type of person who likes taking notes, this is the kind of sermon that has like, it's perfect for taking notes, okay? It's not my, if you're the type of person who's like, man, Alan's sermons are really difficult to take notes in, this one's like right up your alley. It's not up my alley. As I was preparing this message, I'm like, multiple times, I'm like, okay, this is not my world. This isn't my normal style of, of sharing. It's the most sermony sermon I've ever sermoned, okay? Like, it's the most preachy preaching I'm ever going to preach, okay? It's about as preachy as preaching gets, okay? And at least one or two of the things I'm going to say are kind of awkward for me to be the one to say it. 
But again, I feel like I got to do what I got to do. And I'm wandering through some of those things that are maybe just a little bit different for me, but I want to do it anyways. And the reason why is there was a verse that about a month and a half ago, as I was reading it, it just settled really heavy on my own heart. And um, for about a month and a half, two months, I've gone back to this verse multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. And I mentioned it to you all. But now I want to actually walk through it with you. And so if you would grab your Bibles today and open them up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews uh, chapter 13. And we're just going to read one verse there, but it's a pretty good-sized verse. And it's, it, again, is a very heavy and, I believe, serious verse. Uh, it's the kind of verse that, again, has just, for me at least, it is kind of just... Mm, it's just weighed on my heart. Weighed. It's a weighty verse. I think that's a good way to say it. It's weighty. And uh, it should be weighty for me, and it should also be weighty for you. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. And I would much rather preach this in a church that I don't pastor, but I'm going to preach it here anyways. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Here's what it says. Obey your leaders and submit to them. I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> Amen. All right, thank you so much for joining us this morning. God bless you as you go. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Um, I wish I could preach like for four weeks if I was really going to properly do this verse justice. And if I did that, I would take a whole week and just focus on that phrase right there and the words that are used there. Obey your leaders and submit to them is saying something that may be different than immediately what comes to your mind. What I would say about this portion of the verse is that it's really easy, I think, to fall into a ditch on either side of the road on this, okay? And, and there's a perfect path that could be walked to obey your leaders and submit to them without falling in a very obvious ditch here and without falling into a less obvious but real ditch over here too, but to walk that very properly. But I would also say this, and I, I, again, I wish I could kind of go into the words that are used and where else they're used and stuff like that. That's just my style so that we can kind of understand it, but we don't have time for that. What I would say is this, as serious as this verse is for me, and it is, I hope you hear in this very first phrase that this is a serious verse for you too, okay? Because it says, do this for do this because. Here's the reason why you should obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Now, when I say this is a serious verse to me, it's a serious verse for this phrase right here. Like if, if that doesn't make it weighty for me, I don't know what would, but it keeps getting weightier as I move forward. But it says here, they are keeping watch, and that keeping watch is the same kind of phrase, and this is why I feel like I needed to bring this verse up for us today. Because as the pastor of Praise Assembly, it is my responsibility, as the leader here and other leaders as well, it is our responsibility to keep watch. Okay? Same phrase. Heart awake, mind sober, hands prepared as the Holy Spirit leads us to step into what God has us do. We are keeping watch, but it's not like we're keeping watch over the facilities. 
okay? It's not like we're keeping watch over praise assembly, the name and corporate entity. There's a real weightiness to this because the, the, what we're keeping watch on behalf of, the word over there, it, it's a little deceptive, I think, and it's short and it's easy, but, but I'm not like a shepherd watching your souls because I can't watch your souls. That's a chief shepherd job, and I'd love to get into that. That's Jesus Christ. He's the one who watches over your souls, but the word is to keep watch on behalf of your souls. I participate, and I am keeping watch on behalf of your souls. All of a sudden, this gets really serious for me. And this is a passage that is a define-the-relationship-type passage between a pastor and the church. And so immediately as I start reading, it's like, whoa, I'm not, this is, this is serious stuff that, I've, that I'm, I've been called to do as the pastor of praise. And it is not only serious for me, it's serious for you. And that's why it starts that way. But then it keeps going. For they are keeping watch on behalf of or over your souls as those who will have to give an account So if it was serious for you at the beginning of the verse, here it gets really real for me. Because Scripture is super clear on this, and I take this verse seriously. Scripture is clear that as a pastor, as a leader, as somebody who is bringing teaching out of the Word of God, that I am judged more harshly than you are. That as a leader, my giving account is going to be more substantial than your giving account. Like when you stand before Jesus, you'll stand before him for 10 hours. And then I'll get up there and be grilled for 30. Like seriously, I have to give more account than somebody who's just a member here at Praise Assembly. Transparently, that's what the Bible very clearly speaks on as a leader as somebody who is a pastor. I give account for my decisions. I give account for the way I've preached. And I give account not just for the way I've preached, I also give account for the wisdom that I share and advice I share. That's heavy, okay? And that sets heavy on me. And so this is one of those define the relationship type passages which says, okay, you take this seriously, and pastor, you better take this seriously. Okay? For you, you hear that right off the bat. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Okay? But then it doesn't stop there. It says, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So what this is saying is there's two ways we could go about this thing. I as the pastor of Praise Assembly, you as a congregation here at Praise, and as long as you remain a part of this congregation here at Praise, there's two ways we can go about this. And one of those ways would be advantage to you, and one of those ways would be of no advantage to you. And that phrase, be of no advantage to you, doesn't show up anywhere else in Scripture. So I can't get a really good zero on what exactly that means. The closest we can find is there's a, there's a Greek farmer at one point who used that phrase, who was talking about his crops. 
and specifically wheat, and he said, I had some wheat which was strong, and it was above and beyond, and then he had some wheat which turned out, and it ended up being a little bit weaker. It didn't have the same advantage, okay? So what this is saying is, there's two ways we can go about this relationship. I, as the pastor, use the congregation. One of those ways would be of tremendous advantage to you, and one of those ways would be of no advantage to you. And what is the difference? Well, one way, I do this with joy, and the other way, I, as the pastor, do this with groaning and grumbling and sighing. Okay? And for me as a pastor, that's a heavy weight too. Because that means don't just do the responsibilities, but make sure you're doing it with joy. If you want this to be of advantage to the congregation, you need to make sure that you are doing this in such a way that it is joyful, and it's not like you're, you're having to do it, or you're doing it because it's required of you, and so you're going about it with groaning, but instead that I am doing it with joy. That's heavy. So that means I need to protect my joy, and I need to guard my heart, and I need to make sure that I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of my faith, and that my mind is set on things of Above, and that it is the, the greater, the better, and the more abiding possessions that my heart is chasing after and not the possessions that are immediately available here to me but pass away so quickly. So I've got to do that. But read that verse. Because I started this sermon with it targeted towards me, keeping watch. But if you actually read the verse, who's it actually targeted at? You. So sorry for that. <laughs> this verse has you straighten its crosshairs, because what does it say? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. What this is saying is you help me do this with joy. Because if you don't, and if I do it grumbling, it will not benefit you. But if I am joyful as a pastor, it will be of tremendous benefit to you. Which means that you should want me to be happy. <laughs> so, I'm serious, I'm serious, okay? This is serious. With everything inside of you, you should want me to be the happiest pastor in all of Springfield. You should want me to, and, and I think sometimes we think there's a huge joy between happy, a difference between happiness and joy, and I think a lot of that is manufactured. I don't think it's really there, and I'd love to sit down with you if you don't believe me on that. At some point, we'll talk it through. But there's, a diff, there's not that much of a difference between happiness and joy if you look at it biblically, okay? But apart from that, you should be seeking my happiness and joy as a pastor, because the more happy and joyful I am, the more advantage it would be to you. That's what this passage says. So you should want me to be the happiest pastor in Springfield. You should want me to be the happiest pastor in the assemblies of God. You should want me to be the happiest pastor in the history of the church, okay? Over the last 2,000 years, you should want me to be a joyful pastor. So what I'm saying to you is just this, make me happy. Help me help you. Make 
me happy. So here comes the most sermony sermon you've ever heard. The most preachiest you'll ever hear me preach is this. I am going to give you today 10 ways to make me happy. 10 ways to make me happy. So pull out those phones. Normally I want you to take notes. Today I really want you to take notes. Totally coincidental to the message, but I really want you to take notes as we go over 10 ways to make me happy as a pastor, okay? 10 ways to make me happy, and we're going to be moving quick because we've got a passage of scripture for each and every one, so I can't take forever on each and every one of them, but we're going to go through 10 ways to make me happy as a pastor. The first one's going to be in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2. So you can follow along and praise that FYI. Tap up those notes. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Paul says, you complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And to that I would say, Amen. Look to others' interests. It is so incredibly natural. It is so incredibly just ingrained in the human race. Like, I don't need to tell my kids, hey, look out to your own interests. It's natural for that to happen. And I regularly will sit with people who are looking out to their own interests, and I do not hold it against them because that is natural. It is totally supernatural to look to others' interests above yourself. To not say, this is the way I want it to be, but understand that there are others who would be better ministered to if it was a different way, and to take their needs and put them above our own. You know what that's called? Maturity. And all of Philippians chapter 2 is about this very thing. So while it is totally natural, and I don't hold it against anybody when they look to their own interests, I get it. It's natural. It brings me incredible joy when I'm sitting across from somebody who takes their own desires and submits them to the desires of others. It's an incredible thing. Look to others' interests. If you want to make me happy. That's number one. Number two, 3 John, verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That is a prayer to pray, by the way, as you're praying for healing for somebody. That would be a good verse to write down and keep in your mind for prayer. 
For I rejoiced greatly. I rejoiced. I celebrated with joy. I rejoiced greatly when my brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. To that I would say, amen. Walk in the truth. And, and let me start by saying it would be super awkward and weird for me to ever refer to you as my children. So I won't. But I will and will say um, I thoroughly enjoy it when people slip and refer to me as father. <laughs> that also brings me joy, okay? I'm just saying. But anyways... It is totally normal for me as the pastor to be, as I'm watching, keeping watch on behalf of your souls, it would be totally natural and normal for me to be the one who more than any else has my heart oriented towards the word of God. I would hope that that would be the case, that I'm leading the charge in loving the word of God and the life that comes to us from the word of God. I would expect that that is the case. But it brings me great joy when I hear of others who love the Word of God the way I love the Word of God and orient their lives around the things that they find in the Word of God. So, amen. Walk in truth. Number three, I got to keep moving, otherwise, we'll be here all day. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray more earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Um... Scripture is clear that each and every one of us, God is still working on. Scripture is really very clear that each and every one of us are not complete until we stand before Jesus Christ, right? Because he who began a good work in us will carry it to completion to that day in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I press on to make him my own. He said that I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And all who are mature ought think this same way. That's what Paul said. So we are all pressing forward. Jesus Christ, is by, as we abide in him by the power of his Holy Spirit, is changing us and moving in us. And I think all of us are there. Only some of us know it. And I would say even less of us know where specifically those lacks are. This passage says, and I would say, amen, know your lack, says that one of the most joyful things to do is to supply what somebody is lacking. And so, if you want to bring joy to me, pray, because it is so easy to see a sliver in somebody else's eye, and so difficult to see the log in our own. So pray, oh God, lead me, where is my lack, that you might work in me in order to change that. So amen. Know your lack. All right, we're going to keep pressing forward. We're on number four. 
And that'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9, which says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. To that I would say, amen, repent quickly. Repent quickly, and I would say repent regularly. Because we are all sinning regularly, failing regularly. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and helps identify that lack, or as the Holy Spirit convicts you, maybe in a message, or if, if you're just reading the Word of God and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, there's an issue right here, repent quickly. But repentance is not just feeling bad. If you read that, it says, I rejoice not because you were sad, not because you were grieved, but because there's two ways that re- grieving can be can go. It can either go and lead to like worldly kind of feeling bad about it and then just kind of moving on, but that leads to death, it says. And then there's a different way, and that is repentance. That is turning and, and repenting and putting that thing behind you. So, amen. Repent quickly. We're getting close to halfway now. So, number five. Number five. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, Verse 18. Here's what it says. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. He continues on and he says, yes, and I will rejoice. And he continues. And as he continues, he He says, the reason why is whether I live or die in everything I do, I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. To that I would say, amen, proclaim Christ. Whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're with your kids, with friends, co-workers, acquaintances, proclaim Christ. I've been the pastor for five years here at Praise Assembly. One thing I was not expecting when I became the pastor is how many of my friends I would have to preach at their funeral. And if you remain at Praise Assembly, and if God keeps me as the pastor here, I'm going to bury a whole lot more of you. And we only get one life. And guess what? You only get one death. Don't waste either of them. Proclaim Christ in both of them. In how you live and work. And here's the thing. If Jesus doesn't come back, none of us get out of it alive. So how we live, the most important thing is how we proclaim Christ. And how we die The most important thing is how we proclaim Jesus Christ. So don't waste your life, and don't waste your death, and I will rejoice. That's five. Number six, also in Philippians, verse 29 of chapter 2. 
This is talking about a guy named Epaphroditus. He just talked about a guy named Timothy, and then he continues on talking about another one of his co-workers, Epaphroditus. Verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And here I would say, amen. Honor praises staff. Because I know with confidence, absolute certainty, that every single one of them could make more money doing something else. And yet, because they love praise, because they love you, I'll throw in there, because they love me, But ultimately, because they love Christ, they aren't doing those things. They are here serving this church. Honor that, because that's a sacrifice. And I will also be transparent with you. I'm used to leading. I'm used to being the one out front. And I'm used to the fact that anytime you lead a congregation of this size, every single person in that congregation has at least one thing that they think that could be done better. And I'm okay with that. And it doesn't get to me. What I will say gets my goat every single time. Zero to ten makes me angry is when people disrespect or dishonor the staff that God has brought here. Every time that gets me mad. So on the flip side of that, The thing that brings me great, great joy is when I see them honored. You want to make me happy, joyful, honor those that God has brought to serve this congregation. Okay? Number seven. Along those same lines, still in Philippians, along those same lines, I would say, verse three of chapter one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And there I would say, amen, partner with us. This is not a thing where those who are the paid vocational ministers here at Praise Assembly, their responsibility is to minister and everybody else gets to enjoy. That's not the pattern of Scripture. That's not the pattern that was laid out for us for a church. The pattern is you do not outsource your ministry, but instead we equip you for ministry, and you are the ministers. Okay, that's the pattern of Scripture. So partner with us. Give financially to this church. If you are not tithing right now, that is the first thing you must begin to participate with the life of this church. If you are not tithing, you are not participating with the life of this church. But don't just give financially. Sometimes that's too easy. Give of your time and your energy and yourself to partner with us for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in this thing together, and it's a beautiful thing to watch and brings me great joy when I see the church partnering for the sake of the gospel, okay? Number eight, here I'm going to jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Here's what it says there. We're almost done. Three more. 
Got seven minutes left. Number eight, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. And I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. To that I would say, amen. Love our families. One of the most unique things about being a pastor is what happens to my family biblically affects what happens to me as a pastor. And what happens in my home affects what happens on this stage. And quite honestly, I feel the weight of parenting and husbanding more than I feel the weight of pastoring. And if I have to choose between the two, I will choose family every single time. So, my kids are coming up on the teenage years. I received that. I love the teenagers. But it gets so much better. Like That's the worst time of life. I remember, okay? And it gets so much better. And my kids are going to fail. They're going to make mistakes. And they're going to sin. And can I say that love covers? So I'm asking you to love my kids. Because some of those things will be very public that they do. And I would just ask that you would love them through it. And not mine only, but all of the kids of the staff. Would you, would you just pray over them and bless them and love them? Because as they publicly are, the child of the pastor or youth pastor or kids pastor or, or somebody who's on staff as, as, and worship pastor <laughs> or someone who's on staff, can I just say it's a difficult thing to be so publicly like out there. Okay, so just love them. Love them, love them, love them. And they'll bring me great joy. All right, number nine. I'm almost done now. Number nine, Romans chapter uh, 15, verse 30. Here's what it says. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And to that I would say, amen. Pray with us and for us. Pray with us, for us. One of the best services you could offer to the pastors and to the staff here at Praise Assembly is to pray over that staff. Pray that we are delivered against the attacks of the enemy. Pray that our service 
our ministry would be acceptable and pray that we are refreshed. In fact, I'm going to say there's more that you could pray for the pastor. If you're not praying already for the pastoral staff, for the staff here at Praise Assembly, start now and continue to pray daily for the staff. And, and join us on Wednesday because we're going to go deeper into this and we're going to see biblically what you should be praying uh, for the staff. Wednesday night, 6.30 in this room as we dive into the deeper Bible study. So join us for that. But be praying with us for us. Finally, final one. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Number 10. And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain for those, from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. And to that I would say, amen. Chase after joy. If you want me to be a pastor who is joyful so that it will be beneficial to you, then be a church that is joyful. If you want me to be a pastor that does not grumble or groan or sigh, do not be a church that grumbles and groans and sighs. But instead, be a church that is full of joy. And here's the thing about that. I think too long ago, and too regularly now, we have shelved joy and happiness as one of those things that is superfluous to our faith extra the cherry on top it's great if we get it but ultimately not that necessary i don't see that biblically happiness and joy are fundamental to our faith and i would say i, I really i think joy is essentially getting what you want okay that's all i think definition of joy getting what you want but it's a very specific getting what you want. It is wanting the right things and believing by faith you will get them. So it is wanting what God has prepared for you, desiring what God has promised you, and then believing by faith that his promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's where I think joy comes from. I think it is a fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us such that our hearts are oriented towards the promises of God. And as our hearts are pointed towards his promises, we believe by faith that they are ours. It says in Hebrews, specifically talking about people who lost all of their possessions. I've read this passage to you. It says that they endured the plundering of their property joyfully. How could that be? Because they knew they had a better possession and an abiding one. They desired God promises even over their house and car and possessions. So want the right things above all and then believe by faith that his promises are true. That's where joy comes from. That's where I think joy comes from. So if you want me to be a joyful pastor, 
then be a joyful church. And it will be of incredible benefit to you. Amen? Okay. Ten ways to make me happy. And that will be of great benefit to you. The promise of Scripture is this. That Jesus Christ died and rose again in order that, first, our sins would be forgiven, but that he would create a new heart inside of us. I was reading, even this morning, I was reading about Saul, and um, it says there that God gave him a new heart. Such an interesting phrase. I want to ruin the Bible for you. Here's what I want. I want every time you're reading Scripture, any time it talks about God working in people's hearts, for it to jump out at you, and you won't be able to get away from it until you figure out why is God working in that heart in that way. May it ruin it. Every time you read it, may you see it, and it jump out at you, so you're wondering, okay, why did God work in that heart in that way, and what does that mean? But it says he gives a new heart. This is the promise of Scripture. See, salvation, and and actually our next series is going to be on this, is on salvation, because I think Sometimes we get it wrong. We think we prayed a little prayer and then we're saved. But it is so much richer and so much more beautiful and so much more trembling than that. Okay? But the promise of Scripture is this. That as we put our faith in Him, we are saved. And He creates in us a new heart, gives it to us, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I never want to end a service, regardless of whether I'm out of sorts and it's a sermon that's up my alley or not. It's more preachy than normal. I don't know. What I will say is this. Jesus Christ is enough. And if you have not put your faith in him, today is the day to do it. Fully, completely, totally. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. Would you stand with me today? I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that very thing. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to just put my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. And as I do that, I'm going to encourage you to join with me. And if you've never done that before, do it fully this morning. Believe in your heart, not just saying the words, but believe that God raised him from the dead, that the scriptures are true of him, and you can be saved. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have called me to pastor this church. You've called me to that. That's not something I made up. It's not something I came up with. It wasn't a group of people who came up with that. God, you called me and you placed me, and it was all by your hand and your leadership and your guidance, your Holy Spirit working in me in this church in order to bring this about. And I take this relationship very seriously. I recognize that it is so vital that I handle and do things with wisdom and keeping in step with the power of the Holy Spirit. I recognize that. This is serious stuff. I'll give account for. In this moment, I'll give account for my words at this very moment. So God, I don't want to move on right now without giving an opportunity for any who are here, who are far from you, to receive salvation. Because your call goes out It always goes out. You call. And this morning, there are some in here, I know for a fact, there are some in here who are far from you. 
And you're saying, come to me, come to me, come to me, come to me. Put your faith, put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That he was in the grave and he breathed. And he came roaring out of that grave. And in the same way that he did that, you, as it says in Romans 4, 17, call into existence things that do not exist. You call newness of life out of us. You give us a new heart, is what the promise is from Jeremiah. A new heart you put inside of us. A new creation we are in Christ Jesus. When we put our faith in you. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so I do that right now. I confess you. You are Lord of my life. I thank you for what you have done on my behalf. I thank you that the name of Jesus is enough. And I have no other name apart from Jesus. This morning I put my faith in you. And I believe that the scriptures are true of him. That he raised from the grave. And that same power raises me as well. And oh Lord, I pray for any in here who just confessed for the very first time with their mouth that you are Lord. God, impress upon them the seriousness of that decision and help them to recognize that there are paths ahead of them and that they can love and serve you in such a way that their life here will be a joyful one. May we be a church that chases after joy, that proclaims Jesus Christ that recognizes and knows our lack, repents often, repents quickly, O oh God. May we regularly be brought to our knees in repentance before you for our sinfulness, O oh God. And Father, in all of it, may your name be lifted up by the way we live, by the way we die. We thank you for it. We praise you. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. I've got a prayer team that's available here this morning in order to pray with you. They would just love to pray with you and not just pray with you, but pray all week for you. If you bring something specific to them this morning, they've committed themselves to pray for you all throughout this week. If you're in here and for the very first time, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. As others get ready to head out the doors, instead of heading out, would you head down and come down to the front? They'd love to pray with you, but also talk through the next steps with you. God bless you to ha today. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you tonight.